you uh, have a Bible, you might want to uh, read along with me. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 28. And that is the last chapter in, in the book of Acts. We have made it. We, we are at the end. So uh, let's, uh, let's read together from Acts 28. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to start at verse 23. So, uh, so Acts 28 from, from 23 onwards says this. Paul, okay, he's, he's in, it doesn't say this, I'm now talking. Um, it's, I'll just give the background, okay. Paul is now in Rome, okay. He's made it to Rome and uh, some uh, of the Jews have gathered to him and he's speaking to them. Okay, so that's the context and uh, it says this. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophets, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Greek word ethnos means nations. And they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was really that last verse that I want to focus on this morning. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I actually counted up the number of uh, messages we've had on Acts, and uh, this is number 36. So uh, it's it's been quite a a marathon, isn't it? And uh, and here we are. We are now at the end. And uh, I I think it's, it's tremendous value. In, in working through a whole book of the Bible like this. It gives us a, a wonderful overview of the message of Scripture. And also, uh, I think it's been a significant season for us as a church. We can trace it all the way back to last summer when Jeff Fain brought a, a prophetic picture of a, a compass clicking round a few degrees. And just a feeling that uh, us as a church at the time needing to be missional, in everything we do, understanding the mission that God has called us to as a church. And uh, through this year, we've obviously had all the build-up to, to uh, Just Ten, and then through Just Ten itself, and now we're still seeing the fruit of, of that. And uh, we finish our Alpha course this coming Wednesday, and that's been exciting. And uh, we, we start another Alpha course in the autumn, which we already have people signed up for. And, uh, and other things starting in, in the autumn as well. We look forward to that season 
and all that God's going to do with us and through us. And obviously building up to Christmas as well with the Star Project. There's, as ever, a lot going on. And uh, we look forward to what God's going to do with us. But uh, here we are at the end of the book of Acts. And, and uh, the question was how to summarise this book. What should our kind of takeaway message be? See, on the one hand, there's been huge advance through these 30 years that the book of Acts covers. The church has gone from 120 people to many thousands, if not millions of people. It's gone from one tiny room in the city of Jerusalem to every city in the Roman world and the regions in between and even the regions beyond. It's gone from one man who was creating a bit of a stir in Judea to now being a a world-changing movement that's now the concern of the Roman emperor, such that anything that's good or bad in society is now being blamed on these pesky Christians and, uh, and they're attracting much persecution as a result. And there are some major themes that we've dealt with as we've gone through the book of Acts. Themes like the church, the Holy Spirit, mission, These are big subjects that we've grappled with. But do you know what? As you end this book, and we look at Paul here, we look at the curtain coming down on the book of Acts, what we see is Paul doing what he has done and what the apostles have done throughout the book of Acts. He's just telling people about Jesus. And in fact, the way Luke ends, Luke wrote Acts, okay. The way Luke ends Acts is not dissimilar at all to the way Luke ends his gospel, Luke's gospel. Let me read you some of the very last verses in Luke's gospel. In uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44 onwards, it says this. This is Jesus now speaking, okay. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared before his disciples and he says this to them. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So it was 30 years from when Jesus said this to when Paul was in Rome. And you might have thought, well, the the, the world's moved on, isn't it? You know, the the world is just different now. And, And Jerusalem, you know, that must seem so far away to Rome. It's about 1,500 miles. And you might have thought, well, the words of Jesus, well, perhaps they were not so relevant now. It just seems like ancient history. But actually, that's not the case at all. Because what we see Paul doing at the end of Acts actually puts into practice what Jesus was saying at the end of Luke. Let me just kind of make the parallel there. Jesus said... Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. That's the Old Testament. 30 years later, 
Paul was there, it says he tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Jesus said that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And we read at the end that Paul, he taught them about Jesus. It says repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. And Paul says God's salvation has been sent to the nations. You see, the, the, the message is the same. The major theme of the book of Acts is Jesus. It's Jesus and his gift of salvation to the world. And you know what? As we finish the book of Acts, I think that's where our focus should be. It should be on Jesus and his gift of salvation to the world. And that's why I want to leave time at the end of our morning for us to break bread together. We must remember the message behind our mission. It's Jesus. And you know, that was the case all through the book of Acts, actually. Let me try and do a very rapid survey. At Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost. The disciples were there. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. It was pandemonium and the crowd were astonished. And Peter, the apostle, stood up in front of the crowd and he said, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. A little while later, they, were, uh, they healed a man at the, at the temple gates in Jerusalem. And again, a crowd gathered. And Peter again stood up and said, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. Later, they're arrested and before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the message is the same. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else. That's what they say. It's always the same. They, they talk about Jesus. They talk about his suffering. They talk about him rising from the dead. And then they talk about the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. In Acts 5, they're before the Sanhedrin again. This is what they say. God raised Jesus from the dead that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. It's the same in Acts 7 with, with Stephen. In Acts 10, you have Peter going to Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. He was the first non-Jewish person to receive Jesus as his saviour. And uh, there it says, Peter says this, They killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him. That everyone who believes in him might receive forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, it's the same message. In Acts 13, we get to Paul. And uh, Paul has exactly the same message again. You see it in, in Antioch. He says this, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified from everything. Acts 16 in Philippi with the jailer and his family. And in Acts 17, Paul says this, explaining and proving that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead. And so it goes on and on and on. And eventually Paul gets to Rome. And the message is exactly the same. 
He's trying to convince people about Jesus. Now, for us, that's 2,000 years ago. For us, it's, it's many, many miles. It's more than 2,000 miles away. And yet Jesus is still the centre of everything we are and everything we do. We're the church of Jesus. We're not the church of, of lively songs. We're not the church of nice coffee or, or a kind of a, a happy, feel-good family factor. No, we're the, the church of Jesus Christ. And when you meet here, when you meet with us, you meet with Jesus You haven't done church, you haven't explored Christianity until you have been up close and personal with the person of Jesus. So this morning, in the few minutes I have, I want to outline the same message. Jesus, who suffered but rose from the dead, that we might have repentance and forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus suffered. He actually suffered throughout his life because Jesus is God made man. His God appeared in the human form, in human flesh. And so his whole life would have had an element of suffering. Can you imagine what it felt like to see a world that had rejected his father? And of course, as a man, he suffered sin, uh, he suffered not sin, he suffered hunger and grief and, and pain. But then that suffering came into sharp focus in his death as he was crucified. It says that we preach Christ crucified. Crucifixion was an act of violence and pain. And all the worst parts of human nature. And there's not a lot of description about crucifixion itself in Acts. But everybody at that time would have been very familiar with what crucifixion was. Because it was still being practiced right up until the 4th century. A person that was crucified was first whipped and scourged. So that all the skin and muscle tissue was removed from their back and the back of their legs. They then had iron spikes driven through their wrists and through their ankles into a rough piece of wood, which was then hoisted up into the air so that you hung on these nails. Your chest compressed, you suffocated in agony. It was a torturous way to die. Do you know the horror of that death shows us the horror of sin? We're meant to be appalled by it. We're meant to be disgusted by it. The Bible speaks a lot about Jesus' blood that was shed. And when we take the bread and the wine, the, the, the wine reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed. And the thing about blood is, it's not meant to be on the outside. It's meant to be on the inside. And so when we see blood, it, we recoil from it. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's offensive. Do you know, a sanitized death for Jesus would lead us to a sanitized view of sin. That it's, it's okay. We just kind of sweep it under the carpet. But you know, Jesus' death was appalling. Because that is how God views our sin. He recoils from it. It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's appalling. He, he can't bear to look at it. 
So Jesus suffered physically on the cross. But you know, the pain of crucifixion was not that uncommon. And we cannot say that Jesus suffered physically more than anybody else. Even some women were crucified, although the majority were were men. But actually, the greatest way that Jesus suffered was that he carried all our sin. And that level of suffering is without comparison. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, during this last week, I let somebody down. And uh, you're all wondering what, what I did. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible in one sense. I failed to do something that I was rightly expected to do. And as a result, it, it caused pain. And, and then anger, justifiably so. And uh, as I realised what I had done, I felt terrible. I actually felt ashamed. I, I tried to spin it in my mind, you know, a different way and, and think, you know, can, can I make this okay? And I just couldn't. I, I, I just messed up. And I, I went to, to bed that night. I couldn't go to sleep because I felt ashamed. I just felt terrible. And as I was lying there, this verse came to mind. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I was thinking, there is no way in that moment I could have coped with all the shame of all the things that I have done wrong in my life. Because that one thing was causing me a lot of bother. It felt hard. There's no way I could deal with all my shame. And you know, I'm only one person. Multiply that up by every single person who will call on the name of Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is an incalculable level of shame and guilt. And it made his father look away in disgust. Jesus suffered. He suffered. And he died. But you know, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. This is the fact that is most consistently argued throughout Acts. This is the fact that they come back to time and time again. Jesus, whom you crucified, rose from the dead. It's centrally important to everything we are and believe. We must understand why it is so important that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, because Jesus rose from the dead, he is vindicated by God. He is shown to be right. He's shown to have God's approval. His work on the cross was 100% complete. If Jesus had stayed dead... It would have been because there was still some work to do to pay for sin. But actually, Jesus said, it is finished. The work was completely done. It also shows that Jesus was vindicated in his claims 
when, when he was alive, he, he claimed some pretty wild things and, and his resurrection shows that they are true. He said that only he was the way to the Father. That he was the way, the truth and the life. He said that he was one with the Father. He said that he was with the Father before the creation of the world. And he said that he must die, but he would rise again on the third day. And you think, well, why should we believe all that? But he did rise again. You can't make that up. You can't fabricate that. And if that is shown to be true, then, well, maybe we need to take notice of everything Jesus said. And then secondly, his resurrection is important because he is the first fruits of the new kingdom. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a hope that affects us now. It affects how we live right now. We're not just waiting to be rescued from a sinful world. New life starts now. And Jesus' resurrection power is available to us now. There is a kingdom that Jesus has established. It's the kingdom that Paul proclaimed while he was there in Rome. Preaching about the kingdom of God where there would be no kingdom Unless Jesus had risen from the dead. Because he was the start. He was the first fruits of that kingdom. And then thirdly, because of Jesus' resurrection, we set our sights on a living Lord. We get a heavenly perspective. We don't worship a dead icon from the past, but a saviour who is alive. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know this Jesus? Have you met him personally? Because this is the Jesus we need to know. This is the Jesus we need to find out about. The one who suffered. The one who carried our sins on the cross. The one who rose from the dead and is seated at God's right hand. Do you know him? Have you found out about him for yourself? Well, at Pentecost, when Peter declared all this to the crowd, and the crowd listened to what he said, and and they were cut to the heart, and they thought, oh no, we we crucified the Son of God. What, What can we do with that? And they asked Peter, what should we do? And the answer was this, repent and be baptised. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. The response is always the same. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance means a change of mind. It means I used to think this. This used to be my opinion, and now I have changed my mind. I think differently. Repentance is a a change of heart. I used to value these things, but now I value something different. I now value what God values. My whole value system has changed. 
And repentance is a change of orientation. It means you were living your life this way, away from God. Just living your life by your own terms of reference. But you've turned around and you're now walking towards God. You're now trying to press into him to find out what he desires for you. To honour him and worship him in your life. It's a change of orientation. I used to work the occasional night shift in London. And uh, it meant driving into London in the very early hours of the morning. And uh, it was pretty quiet, and, and yet I just used to get so hopelessly lost in the one-way systems of the West End of London. It, it's just a maze. And uh, often I would be at one end of the street, and I could see where I needed to be, and, and yet all the streets seemed to be against me. And on this one occasion, it was all so quiet. And I thought, I'll just nip along the one-way street the wrong way. Nobody will know. And yet, inevitably, I got halfway along the street and a big white van turned into the other end of the street and we were then sort of nose to nose. And four things became instantly apparent to me at that moment. The first was, if I was to carry on, there was going to be a crash. The second thing that was apparent to me was that if there was going to be a crash, it was going to be entirely my own fault. I knew which direction this street was meant to be driven. The signage was clear. The rules were clear. I was going the wrong way. The third thing that was clear to me was that to carry on with a a kind of apologetic look on my face wasn't going to work. It was not going to be an excuse. Sorry is no excuse. And the fourth thing that was clear to me was that the only way out of this situation was that I was going to have to do a three-point turn and drive the correct way along the road. Where, do you know, everyone is born ignoring the facts about Jesus. The truth is there. It's clear. And yet we are born ignoring it. We are born driving against it. And God calls everyone to realign their life to God. And that means that that to say God says is the only explanation you need. Not what's in it for me, not what will it cost me, not what if I don't, but that's what God wants. Well, that's what I want then. God says, worship me. You say, okay, well, that's what I want. God says, love others as much as you love yourself. And you think, well, if that's what God says, then that's what I want to do. God says, get baptised as a, as a demonstration of your faith in him. So, well, that's what God wants. And that's what I want. That's repentance. That's the essence of turning to him. And the result of that is forgiveness of sins. The message of the book of Acts is the message of the gospel. And it's not condemning, it's, it's a message of, of grace. This is good news. This is sins forgiven. You were dead in your sin, but there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus. However you have lived your life, whatever you have done, whatever shame and guilt you carry, you can hand it over to Jesus on the cross. Psalm 51 was written by David, King David. 
And before he wrote that psalm, he had messed up big time in his life. He'd lusted after a woman. He committed adultery with her. And then to try and cover it up, he had the husband murdered. He broke pretty much every one of the Ten Commandments in that little sequence of events. And yet, he could come before his Lord in a a broken state, in a state of repentance... And say this, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And that's the wonder of the cross. That's the wonder of the gospel. Jesus has paid for your sin so that you don't have to. He takes your sin and in return he gives you righteousness. And on the basis of that righteousness... You can spend a glorious eternity with him. So as we come to the end of our travel through Acts, we must realise this is the message that we've been entrusted with. It's Jesus. Jesus who suffered but rose from the dead. Jesus who offers repentance and forgiveness of sins. And this is the message that is available to the whole world. Starting with your friends, starting with your workplace. It's the message that this city needs to hear. It's the message that this nation needs to hear. It's the message, the message that people groups around the world, the nations, need to hear. And you know what? It's a message that the world is hungry for. Paul said that God's gift of salvation is for the nations and they will listen. They will hear with their ears. They will see with their eyes. They will understand. They will turn and be healed. This is not a futile venture that God has called us to. And Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us for this mission. For the proclamation of that message of Jesus. With boldness. With power. But fundamentally, at the centre of everything, is Jesus. And that's why I want us to remember Jesus now in, in communion. As we break bread together, let's remember it's all about him. That he suffered and rose from the dead. To bring us repentance And forgiveness of sins. That's the message. Why don't we stand together. And I'll pray. The worship group will come up. I want us to sing. And and then we will break bread together. So uh, let me just pray. Heavenly Father. We look into your word. And we find such an abundance of treasure there. Such wonderful truth that speaks volumes into so many situations. And yet, underpinning it all, we see that the message is about you. We thank you, Lord, for going to the cross. We thank you that you suffered, carrying my shame, carrying my guilt. Thank you that you did a complete work on the cross. Sin conquered for all time. Death defeated. Thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead. 
praise you. We address you as a living Lord and Saviour. In power, seated on high. Lord, would you expand our vision of you? Lord, would you give us eyes to see your glory, your resurrection power, your plan of salvation for the world? Lord, we bring our lives before you again this morning. The message is simple, but so profound, so life-changing. The impact has resonated through the centuries, and it continues to resonate through our own lives. We bring our lives before you again and say, would you be Lord? We, we, we live our lives with reference to you. Take us, Lord Jesus. Empower us. Stir us. Pour your spirit upon us. We thank you, Heavenly Father. There is forgiveness of sins in you. Thank you, O oh God. Amen. Let's sing together.